0: This episode of the Royal Ramble is dedicated to the memory of Jerry Jarrett. We are officially on the road to WrestleMania as the WWE shifted it into high gear last night with their latest premium live event, Elimination Chamber, including the press conference that followed. Welcome to another Super Sunday edition of the Royal Ramble. I'm your host, Blaine the Brain, and for the next several minutes, I'm talking all about Elimination Chamber and potential roads to WrestleMania for a number of WWE superstars, or actually, can we finally just call them wrestlers? Well, they did wrestle last night, and did it very well, but they were also highly entertaining. Here's my full rundown of the event. I'm not going to go so much into the kickoff show, because let's face it, nothing ever happens in that hour, and this show was no exception to that rule. It was basically just a bunch of video recaps to catch people up on current WWE storylines and attempt to get some last minute buys. I have to give it to WWE because since creative power switched hands last summer, one thing that has noticeably improved is the production value. The intro video was very well done, and they did a good job of highlighting some of the top angles heading into the event. Michael Cole and Corey Graves were your commentators for the night as per usual, and I have to say that I was thoroughly impressed with their broadcasting efforts last night, especially Cole. For anyone who's regularly been listening to my podcast or may have seen some of my tweets or Facebook posts, you probably know by now that I'm not the biggest coal miner in the world. In fact, nine times out of ten, I can't stand the guy. But I guess this was the tenth time, and he was much less annoying than usual. In fact, I actually liked hearing some of his insight, and he definitely did his history homework last night. Well done. Considering the theme and name of the show, I figured they might start with one of the two chamber matches, especially in an effort to keep them separate. But I was a little surprised that they chose to start with the women's one rather than the title match. All things considered though, I'm kind of glad that they did. It was a fine match, but definitely not up to par with some of the previous chamber matches, and especially didn't compare to the one later in the show. The match was to determine a number one contender to Bianca Belair's Raw Women's title at WrestleMania. Before I get to listing the participants, I am almost shocked that they chose not to add either Becky or Bailey to this match, despite having that opportunity on Raw last Monday. But it is what it is. This one was contested between Asuka, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, and I can't cringe enough at Michael Cole's pronunciation of her last name, Nikki Cross, Carmella, and Natalia. The match started with Liv and Natty, and I'm just not understanding this company's obsession with Liv Morgan. I think she's an average talent at best, and not even one of the better-looking ones in my opinion, so I don't get it. The crowd was on fire the whole night. Of course, I don't mean literally, but they came unglued for some of their Canadian favorites, including Natalia in this match, which I'd imagine is the only reason she was in it to begin with. Liv got the early advantage by constantly whipping Natalia into the chain wall until Raquel entered the chamber from the number three position and just overpowered her much smaller opponents. There was a unique spot where Raquel had Natty set up for what looked like the Deadeye that Hangman Page uses, but then Liv tried to jump on her, almost landing on Raquel's chest like Velcro, and then Natty slid down and executed a flip-bomb to Raquel into the chains while Raquel was still holding Liv. I know what they were going for, but it was very poorly delivered and looked kind of awkward. I don't think it was the fault of the talent involved, but more so because of the lack of space they had to work with. Nikki Cross came running out of her pod next, and just went wild on everybody. She actually climbed to the top of Carmella's pod and dove off right onto the other three with a crossbody. Carmella was in next and just tried to steal easy pins on whoever was down, but everyone managed to kick out. Carmella then went back into her pod to escape from Nikki who was chasing her, but then Raquel picked Nikki up, rammed her into the pod, breaking right through the plexiglass as Carmella exited on the other side. Liv then flew off the middle rope and hit Nikki with a codebreaker, as Raquel got the pin and first elimination. I was a little surprised that the announcers called the move the codebreaker, despite the guy who it's named after working for a rival company. You'd think they'd have come up with a new name by now, but in any case, Nikki Cross is gone. There was a good spot where Liv was at the top of Asuka's pod and delivered a flip-bomb to Raquel off the top rope. Asuka was finally released from her pod, and started chasing Carmella, who was taunting her all match long. Carmella again hid in someone's pod, but Asuka eventually caught her and started whipping her into the chains. Liv went for oblivion on Natalia, but Carmella tripped her up as she hit the ropes, and then Natty applied the sharpshooter, while Asuka grabbed hold of Liv's upper body and applied an armbar submission, causing Liv to fade, and the ref just said that she was unconscious and therefore eliminated. Natty then locked a sharpshooter in on Asuka, but Carmella attacked her from behind to break the hold, which was pretty dumb when you think about it, but she ended up pinning and eliminated Natalia. Raquel was being volleyed back and forth between Asuka and Carmella with vicious kicks, and they both ended up pinning her. So it came down to Carmella and Asuka. It was a weird pairing for the final two, but Asuka ended up countering a schoolgirl attempt into an armbar for the quick verbal submission, as Carmella didn't have a free hand to tap with, so Asuka is going to WrestleMania versus Bianca Belair, which I think everyone expected. It should be a good undercard match, and I'm definitely looking forward to the heel Asuka in the build. What I like most about these shows is that there are very minimal backstage segments, and it's just match after match, as I think it should be. What I did not like is that the next match on the card happened to be between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. I am still very confused as to who's supposed to be the babyface and the heel in this program, and even more confused after the Bray Wyatt promo last Friday, as Bray doesn't seem to fit in with this storyline at all, and the story clearly isn't even done yet, so I'm not sure what the purpose of that whole promo was, and why Bray would even call out these two guys specifically. Anyway, the match was basically what you'd expect. It was a competition to see who can deliver the most signature moves within a five-minute period. At least they did keep it short, but it still wasn't painless. I will say that the Montreal crowd seemed to love Brock Lesnar for some reason. Perhaps because he made his WWE main roster debut in this very city, but they were really showering him with praise. Lesnar got in the first flurry of offense as he ran Lashley right into the corner turnbuckle with a driving shoulder block and then took him to Suplex City almost immediately. Lashley came back with a couple of spears and then tried for the hurt lock, which Lesnar blocked, and then switched positions to deliver the first of many F5s. He didn't go for the pin, though. Instead, he hoisted Lashley up for a second F5 and then tried a third, but Lashley blocked it and hit another spear. Lashley then finally applied the hurt lock. Lesnar fought with all of his might, but perhaps realizing that he couldn't break free, he delivered a low blow for the DQ finish. Not a very creative or exciting way to end things, but I'm just glad that it ended. The match, that is. The feud, however, seems to be ongoing, as after the match, Lesnar F5'd referee Chad Patton and then delivered another F5 to Lashley. Then he put Lashley through the announce table on the floor with yet another F5, and I believe he hit another F5 to the referee on the floor as well. Again, confusing the hell out of us as to who's supposed to be the babyface here. Up next was the first of potentially many Hollywood-like Wrestlemania trailers. This one was a parody of the movie Joker, with Seth Rollins playing the title role and reenacting the step dancing scene. Becky Lynch then randomly showed up, not even in costume, but doing the Batman voice. This wasn't bad but I think I'll give it a pass just because it was the first one. It was kind of forced in spots. Then there was a trailer for the new WWE 2K23 video game. And then they went back to a live shot as MMA journalist Ariel Helwani was shown in the crowd with UFC legend George St-Pierre which was a nice surprise for the live crowd. The mixed tag match was up next, and at this point in the show, I kind of glanced at my phone and noticed that it was only 9pm and we only have three matches left. And I was thinking, could this show actually finish before 11? Not quite, but it almost did. Up until this point, I wasn't overly impressed with the show, but I think this is the match that really took it to the next level, and I didn't expect to enjoy this match as much as I did but I'd say it was mostly because of the crowd, as well as the work of Beth Phoenix and Rhea Ripley, although Finn and Edge definitely held their parts as well. I was kind of surprised that they chose to make this a mixed tag instead of an intergender, as I'd bet money that Rhea and Beth are both stronger than their male counterparts. Edge came out and started high-fiving some of the audience members, who were actually singing along to his theme music, which wouldn't be the only time on this show. The match really didn't get going until Beth and Rhea got in there, and just started tearing it up. The late Gorilla Monsoon would have been proud as it was one of those irresistible force-meets-a-movable-object moments, as the two women at one point were just battering each other with standing clotheslines, but neither would budge an inch. Eventually, they both just kinda went down. The crowd was also all over Dominic in this match. I think he might have even had more heat than Roman Reigns in some spots. Beth was isolated in the heel corner but managed to hit a DDT on Rhea, and she went for the tag, though Finn went under the ring and crawled to the other side just in time to pull Edge off the apron and drop him with a final cut before he was able to tag in. Later in the match, Beth kicked Rhea backwards into Finn and finally made the hot tag to Edge. He applied the educator to Finn, but as Rhea tried to break the hold, Beth charged at her with a spear and then applied an educator on Rhea at the same time, so he had a dual submission, until Dominic climbed on the apron to distract the ref. He was chased off by Beth, but managed to toss a pair of brass knuckles to Rhea, who decked Edge. Finn then went up top for the coup de grace, but Beth actually tossed Dominic from the floor into the top rope, which caused Finn to lose his balance and crotch himself on the buckle. There was a really good spot where Finn and Edge were fighting for position on the top turnbuckle, and then the women got in there and powerbombed both of them out of the corner. Later in the match, Rhea attempted a concerto to Beth on the steel steps, but Beth avoided it and hit the glam slam to Rhea on the floor. Meanwhile, Edge planted Finn with the execution, and then leapt over the top rope with a suicide dive on Dominic. Back in the ring, Edge and Beth finished off Finn with the Shatter Machine, now known as the Big Rig, made famous by their friends, FTR. This was a really fun match. Paul Heyman was in the back with Roman Reigns, trying to give him a last-minute pep talk before the title match later on. The US title chamber match was second from the top. It was Austin Theory defending against Montez Ford, Damian Priest, Bronson Reed, and the two guys who started the match, Seth Rollins and Johnny Gargano. The announcers mentioned that it was the first singles encounter between Gargano and Rollins in WWE. I'd have to fact check that, but if it's accurate, that's pretty impressive considering how long they've both been with the company. They had a really exciting couple of minutes too, with lots of close near falls. In fact, this sequence kicked off what was probably one of the top chamber matches of all time, it was really good. Gargano hit a flawless spear through the ropes, which dropped Rollins onto the now-padded platform, which I thought was always steel. Theory is in third and almost immediately tried to work with Gargano, who ended up just sucker-punching him. Theory attempted to hide inside the chamber pod, just like Carmela did earlier, but he didn't realize that there's a door on either side now, so while he was taunting Gargano from one side... He wasn't aware that Seth snuck in through the other door, and then eventually both Gargano and Rollins entered the pod and started beating on Theory. Priest came in next and started cleaning house with power moves. Theory tried to work with Priest as well, but Priest leveled him with a big kick and then hit a helo over the top rope onto the padded platform. Rollins cut off Priest's momentum with a superplex into a falcon arrow as Bronson rejoined joined the match. He hit almost a wheelbarrow-like suplex to Priest into the chain wall, and then splashed him against the pod, but it didn't break. Ford entered the chamber last, and came in like a house of fire. This was a real star-making performance for him, and the crowd was into it. Ford attempted the people's elbow on Priest, but Reed knocked him down. There was a fun but almost frightening spot where Gardano was on Reed's shoulders, and Rollins hit him with a springboard dropkick, causing Gardano to fall backwards and take Reed with him with a poison Rana, which could have ended badly for one or perhaps both of them, but they seemed to be okay afterwards. Ford then climbed to the chamber ceiling and hung backwards like Spider-Man, only to drop onto all of his opponents down below, who just happened to be conveniently standing right beneath him. All of the guys then just teamed up on Reed, hitting all their finishers, and Ford finished him off with a frog splash off the chamber pod for the first elimination. Rollins and Gargano then started fighting on top of another pod, and as Rollins hoisted Gargano up for a powerbomb, Gargano countered into a Hurricane Rana off the pod onto the other participants, which looked insane. Priest then hit the razor's edge in the ring to eliminate Gargano. I know why they call it the Razor's Edge and that Scott Hall was one of Priest's inspirations, but it is a crucifix bomb, and I think that name actually works better with Priest's gimmick and his name, actually. Rollins tries to powerbomb Priest out of the corner, but Ford adds to the move with a blockbuster to eliminate Priest. Ford then just explodes with a flurry of offense against his remaining two opponents, Rollins and Theory, with somersault dives on either side of the ring, he hit about three of them, and then one onto both guys. He tried for a frog splash on Theory, but Theory got the knees up. And then from the outside, Rollins drilled Ford with a stomp against the padded platform, and Theory stole the pin. So it came down to Theory and Rollins as the final two. Rollins hit a super kick and then a Liger bomb for a near fall, as the ref started calling in other officials to help carry Ford away as he was selling the injury from the stomp, or at least I hope it was an injury. I knew the Logan Paul interference was coming, but I just wish they were a little more creative about it. As the refs were taking Ford out, I thought Paul was disguised as one of the cameramen who would have attacked Rollins from behind, but that didn't happen. Instead, Rollins counters an A-Town down and hits the pedigree. He then sets up for the stomp, but then Logan Paul races out and hits Seth with a buckshot lariat and then the stomp of his own. This was kind of lame and made Rollins look weak in my opinion, not being able to thwart an attack that he saw coming. But what I did like is that Theory didn't just go for the pin. Instead, he hit another A-Town down to finally put Rollins away, so at least they suggested that it took more than just Paul's interference to beat him. I think that could be a good match though, and definitely worthy of Wrestlemania. Paul had a really good match with Roman last year, and I think Rollins is much better than Reigns in the ring, so I'm looking forward to that one. But then Sami Zayn came out, and the crowd went nuts. I think Pat LaPrade, who I spoke with last week, said it was the loudest pop by a Montreal audience probably ever. He was referring to the pop on Friday SmackDown, but I think this one might have actually been louder. I love, too, that these guys didn't even touch each other for like five minutes and just let the moment breathe. It was incredible. I had so many vibes of Survivor Series 97, Canadian Stampede, Money in the Bank 2011, and ECW One Night Stand 2006. It was ridiculous how much the crowd just ate it all up. They finally locked up, and Sammy got the first bit of significant offense, hitting a somersault dive over the top to the floor. Roman stopped his momentum with a huge uppercut in midair back in the ring, and then started taunting Sammy's wife at ringside as he continued beating on Zane right in front of her. Sammy came back later and hit a sunset powerbomb, and then Roman tried to respond with a Superman punch, but Sammy caught him and delivered an exploder suplex into the corner. He then tried a huluva kick, but Roman met him head-on with a Superman punch. He tried for a spear, but Sammy leapfrogged him. He hit another exploder suplex, and then a Superman punch of his own, followed by a huluva kick. Roman at this point started rolling out to the floor, and Sammy tried to dive underneath the middle turnbuckle for a Tornado DDT, but Roman met him with an uppercut. Roman then tried another spear on the floor, but Sammy dodged him, and Roman crashed through the barricade. Back in the ring, Roman missed a Superman punch, and Sammy hit a blue thunderbomb for a very close nearfall. Roman then backed Sammy into the corner, and they both kind of took out the ref. Sammy then hit another halluva kick, but there was no ref to make the count. Jimmy Uso then ran down, apparently WWE pulled some strings to let him cross the border. He dropped Sammy with a super kick and then hit a flying splash but Roman still couldn't put Sammy away. Sammy then kicked Jimmy off the apron and Reigns hit a spear for another near fall. He then started slapping Zayn who answered back with a slap of his own. Reigns charged at him with another superman punch which missed and hit the second referee who went down. Sammy hit a Superman punch, but Roman bounced off the ropes and hit one of his own, and both guys went down. Heyman then passed a chair into the ring for Reigns to use. Sammy then tried for a spear on Reigns, but Roman moved, and he hit Jay. Roman then viciously beat on Sammy with a chair, and hit another spear for the final three count. After the match, Roman and Jimmy just started circling Sammy to do more damage, but then Kevin Owens' music hit and powerbombed Jimmy through the announce table at ringside. Back in the ring as KO was stalking Reigns with the chair, Heyman tried to attack him from behind, but Heyman's shots had no effect, and KO just dropped him with a stunner. KO then set up Roman in the corner as Sammy drilled him with one final haluva kick, and the night ended with Sami Zayn standing tall while he and Owens just stared at each other as KO headed to the back. This match was incredible. But it's over now. It'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Next week I will be back to preview AEW Revolution. Until then, I leave you with an ABC.